Well, well, I can tell. I can tell you guys are loving being together. It's awesome. So the conversation you just got, you were just in, just pick that up again at the lunch afterwards. This is great to be together and to be able to uh, visit together. And let's, uh, let's keep that going today. Um, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker today. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Pastor Larry Moore. Larry, yeah, I, I, we're excited that he's, that he's here. And uh, this is sort of a one, there's a one-two punch in this. And it seems like I've been doing this lately. I, you know, we'll have someone come in and then I owe them one. Uh, and um, I'm starting to get a few in my O column. Uh, I still haven't gone back to speak at Dean Pinter's church. And he spoke in our church do you remember that? Two Sundays before COVID started, and I still owe him one. I'm supposed to pay him back this spring. So anyhow, Larry's coming as a bit of a uh, swap, and so our hope is that we would also take our worship team. Wasn't the worship team great this morning? This is phenomenal. Yeah, our hope is that we'll take our worship team and then go to the Regina app and be a blessing there as well. So that's, that's something we're looking forward to in the future. Uh, let me tell you quickly about Larry, some things you might need to know. Um, I think a lot of us know Larry because of his work with, uh, the, with United. And United is like the youth ministries. Originally, it was the youth ministries for our denomination. But I think the thing with Larry is that, like the name United, he, he excels at bringing people together. I've seen that time and time again. One quick anecdote from my life. I was living in Nippon. Uh, I was trying to work with, uh, in a church environment where the churches were quite divided in the community. And Larry came to visit me. And uh, at that point, I was the only youth pastor in town. And some of the other churches were hoping to maybe raise funds to hire youth pastors and things like that. And I said, what do you, you, know, what do you think I should be doing here in town? And Larry encouraged me and then gave me an idea. He said, why don't you go to all the churches in the community and unite them in one effort to win the youth of the city to Christ? And I never thought of that. I didn't even know if it was possible. But because Larry said it was possible, I believed it was possible. And I went around to all the leaders of the different churches and I said, what about one great effort uh, to win the youth of the city? We all just work together. We bring our resources. We bring our uh, our volunteers, we bring our budgets, and we put them all together and pull them in one great effort, one big community youth group. And uh, it worked. It worked. Uh, all the churches got behind it. And, and so we went from a division, division in a small city of 5,000 to unity. And Larry, I want to tell you this. I just learned this recently. Um, after we moved to Moose Jaw, that community youth group concept, which was uniting the churches in, in Nippon, that concept lasted for 18 more years after we left the city. And so it just like, I think it's just a snapshot of what Larry has done throughout his life of ministry. He's come along young leaders. He's spoken hope into them. He's spoken encouragement into them. He's given them ideas of how they can use their their uh, opportunities in front of them and step into things that maybe they would have never done if Larry hadn't spoken the life-giving word into their lives. And so I've been one of those that's experienced that. Can I just quickly ask, how many of you have ever had uh, 
either you've heard Larry speak or you've been influenced by one of his programs, you've been on Street Invaders or Life Force, or you've, you've just, you know, you've come to a praise party and you've been impacted. Okay, lots of you have. Uh, he's had a, a big impact in our lives. And so a year and a half ago, he came to become, he left Calgary and came to Regina to become the lead pastor of our sister church there, our big sister church, the Regina Apostolic Church. And we're really excited because our partnership through Kettleston is very vital to us, but we partner in so many other ways as churches. And I think even though we've had an incredible history with our sister church in Regina, I think Larry coming signifies even better things, even better things, because he unites people. He brings them together. He brings them together to honor the Lord, to serve him, and to attempt great things for God. And to ex- expect great things from God, too. So, Larry, would you come? And we're so excited you're here. Let's give him a great big welcome. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Pastor Steve. Good morning, everyone. If you're new here, welcome to Hillcrest. This is not my first time, but um, we're just real glad to be here. Love to hear you worship and sense the presence of the Lord. That's My greatest value outside of the relationship I have with Christ is to come into a setting like this and sense his presence. It uh, it smacks of him being pleased. I'm interested in the Lord being pleased with my life. You? Yeah, it's good. If you would do something with me, I just want you to stand, if you would, and then you you can be seated for the next hour and a half. (laughs) Steve, you told me I had at least an hour and a half. Just hold your hands out like this as if you were looking to receive something, because you are, right? Otherwise, this is just a show. How many are not interested in a show? How many know there's other places to go, there's better shows, right? It's not what this is about. This is about receiving from the Lord. So just hold your hands out like this, and let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to be here at Hillcrest. My prayer this morning is I pray exactly the same prayer that you would have that, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would minister your word into our hearts and that we would be different than when we came. And the difference would be not simply the people that we've met, the things that we've heard, but how your word, which is life, has intersected our lives and we've decided to submit ourselves to you in a greater way than we did before. Father, we symbolically hold our hands uh, open to you that we might receive from you in accordance with your will. We just pray your blessing on this time together, and we'll thank you for it because we ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. We're glad to be with you. I'm looking forward to having Pastor Steve come with uh, your worship team and to be in Regina. Um, When I, when I, I'll just give you a little bit, I notice there's not a clock at the back. You people are men and women of faith. Um, Don't you dare put one up, whoever is back there. (laughs) When I came to Regina, I was grieved in my spirit about the lack of unity that was happening. And that's, that's not, I don't want to give you the impression that this is what I run on, because it's not. I, the, the reason it was so obvious to me is because it was somewhat unusual that I would feel that way. And I was grieved by the lack of, uh, of unity amongst the churches. And, it, you know, in Regina, it's just even hard to find a list of the churches that are in Regina, let alone anything that would draw them together for the same purpose. 
And I just felt in my heart, and it's happened ever since. So that was 2021, September. And uh, it's, ever since that time, I've had this sense in my spirit that God wants to bring us together. The Bible talks about that there being a, uh, a blessing commanded. Say commanded. There's a blessing that's commanded at the place of unity. Amen? I'm not talking about being unified with people who don't believe what you believe in terms of Christ and him as our, as our Savior, but uh, certainly with those that do. And I believe that God wants us to do that wherever we go. It doesn't matter what city we're in. It doesn't matter what church we belong to. And one of the things that I felt in my heart, in fact, Pastor Steve was there the morning that I was inducted. <clears throat> I always thought that was a woman thing, inducement, <laughs> till I was induced. Nothing's been the same ever since. But when the morning I was inducted and became pastor in Regina, officially Pastor Steve was there. And I remember pointing back to him in the congregation and I said, Pastor Steve, your church and my church need to do coffee, need to do lunch. We want you to know that the Regina Apostolic Church loves Hillcrest Church. I don't know whether they're surprised or whether they don't believe that. <laughs> we do. You say, well, you don't even know us. No, that's not the point. Of course I don't. And most of our people probably don't know most of your people. But that's not the point. The point is, is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same family. We're working towards the same goals. We're going to serve Christ and we're going to be in heaven together. Amen? It's not just a Kettleston thing, which is great. God bless Kettleston for bringing us together. We just need to be together, together more often than one week in the summer. Amen? Would that be all right? I would love that. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm not suggesting that we amalgamate and you would come one Sunday to Regina, we'd come one Sunday here. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there is a unity in spirit that God wants us to strive towards, not just, you know, with ACOP churches, if you will, but also uh, with brothers and sisters in our own city. And so I'm praying into that, looking forward to whatever it is the Lord has for us, especially excited about Pastor Steve coming with his worship team and uh, his family and spending uh, Sunday with us in Regina. It's going to be great. Man, there's all sorts of instructions over this pulpit. I don't know if you've ever seen it here. In case of emergency, if you need to go to the washroom, <laughs> prayer of commitment in case you're not a Christian and you're still preaching. <laughs> Seriously, you've never seen this. It's right here. It makes me feel so much at home. Let me read the Word of God to you. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Maybe we could read this together if that would be all right. Romans chapter 1. There we go. Let's read this together. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 
that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. We're just about done. Carry on. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now get this part. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. One of the greatest portions of Scripture in the New Testament is found in Romans chapter 1, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. For evangelical Christians everywhere, there's no denying the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our faith. Everything revolves around it. And without it, there's no basis for Christianity. There really is no need for what we classify as a church, a church building, all the activities, the staff, the money that we spend. None of that's really of any consequence if the gospel is not true. If there is no gospel, if there is no good news, there's nothing for us to trumpet. There's nothing for us to gather unto. The gospel is crucial. There's no basis for Christianity without it. To say that it's important is almost a benign statement. It's like saying sacrifice is important in love, and money is important to commerce, without which both wouldn't exist, let's be honest. If you're looking for a hill to die on, here it is. Hear me. If you're looking for a hill to die on, the gospel is the hill you should die on. Not a peripheral hill, not a denomination, not a specific piece of theology, not your concept of what just happened in COVID for the last year and a half or two years. There's lots of hills to die on. None of those things are worth it. None. It's Jesus and his good news that he's called us to die on. If we're going to die on any hill whatsoever, you only get a chance to die on one hill, and as you march up that hill, it better say Golgotha at the bottom, and there better be three crosses at the top. Otherwise, you're on the wrong hill. So what is the gospel? Thanks for asking. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 says, Paul again writing, he said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. This is the gospel that Paul preached which you received and which you stand. Hi. What's your name? Emma. Emma. My name's Larry. Can I keep preaching? Yes. Okay. Can I give you a hug? Sure. Everybody, if you haven't met her, this is Emma. Thanks, Emma. Okay, I just lost my space here. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, that happened to me in, in Calgary once at an evening service. Only I saw the guy, he was coming down the aisle, and he was big, and he was mean, and he was mad at me. This was a cinch, this one. <laughs> God bless Emma. 
He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach And so you believed. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's summed up in that portion of scripture. Jesus came to this earth. He was killed. He was buried. He rose again from the grave on the third day, of which we'll celebrate in a week. In fact, we should celebrate every day. And the fact is, he's also returning to receive us unto himself. When acted upon, this simple truth changes everything. Jesus lived, died, rose again, and is returning. The veracity or the accuracy of the scriptures themselves, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is found in his resurrection. Otherwise, he's just a good man. We think he's a good man. As best we can tell historically, he was well thought of. The reality is is that if he doesn't rise from the grave, he's no different than you or I, because death has conquered him as it will conquer us in terms of it taking us from this world. But the fact that he rose from the grave sealed the deal that he was not just the Messiah, but he was the coming King of Kings. Amen? How many know him as your King of Kings this morning? Do you know what that's about? Has the gospel intersected your life as a truth? Has it changed your life? Are you different as a result of that? Did you have a life change because Jesus came into your heart? I hope you have. The result of the gospel is that the power of God will save anyone and everyone who will embrace it. Listen to me this morning. I don't know you. Maybe you came this morning to this church. You're not sure exactly why you're here, but you've never had that relationship. You may not even know that that was possible. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, if you've never asked him to come into your heart, hear me. If you don't get anything else, that's fine. Get this. Your life can have purpose and can have meaning and can have reality to it. And there can be a direction that you've never had, a peace in your heart, and one that sticks closer than a brother if you'll just simply say yes to the Christ. Amen? If you'll do that this morning, you'll never be the same. The fact that Paul said in Romans 1.16 that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, though, gives rise to the possibility that maybe there would be a reason that he could have been. He wasn't. But maybe he could have been if he had given in to certain temptations. Even though he says he wasn't, there are reasons that Paul could have been ashamed. For example, Christianity was met with a great deal of opposition in Paul's day. It's easy to be embarrassed by that. Amen? Easy to be ashamed by that. Just nobody nobody wants the conflict. Just stay away from that completely. There are those who professed it. Um, those who, sorry, that professed it were treated meanly, and many of them were despised. It was spoken against. Everywhere they went, everybody spoke against it. 
The moral condition of the day made it unattractive because people were used to being condemned by God, no matter what their God was. So nobody wanted another God because the connotation was this God is going to condemn me as well. Paul was a Jew and therefore was considered by many to be subhuman, not the kind of person you look to follow into a massive personal life change. Nobody wanted to be with those people. The gospel that Paul was preaching was unbelievable to many people, too all-encompassing. The middle wall of partition, as it were, was too great to scale in people's minds. It's not possible to get from where I am to where the God of all creation is. Uh, That's not possible. And finally, Paul had been ridiculed, cast out, imprisoned, treated cruelly because of the gospel. And many would not have been able to endure the kind of shame that he experienced. And so few people would want to follow what he had. But, aren't you glad that he didn't buy into that? Even if all of that and then some was true, he didn't buy into that. He said, I am not ashamed. Say it it with me and confess it as if it were true in your life. I am not ashamed. you got to say it louder like you mean it. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't be persecuted. It doesn't mean that there isn't a price to pay, all of that kind of thing. But according to Romans 12, the minimum, the the most reasonable service, according to the words in the King James, that I could respond to his death and sacrifice on the cross, my reasonable service was what? To offer my body as a living sacrifice unto him, holy and acceptable. That's reasonable. You still don't, it's not like you're paying a debt or anything like that. It's not possible to pay that debt. But the least I could do is give my life to him for his purposes. So in spite of all of this, Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. And the reason was because in his own words, he said, it's the power of God for salvation. To who? To everyone. Not just some, not just those people that can add up. Not some that can check the boxes, right? Not those who are religiously capable of living righteous lives. Not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the seas. But everyone who accepts Jesus into their heart can become a child of God. Boy, you should be a lot happier about that than you are right now. You should be, you know, because you would have no reason for be here. There'd be no pulled pork lunch for you. We hope it's the same after the lunch. Paul said it's the power of God for salvation. He said it's regenerating power, a transformational power, a resurrecting power. It's one who can take somebody from the depths of the worst of life, and bring them into a life that matters. It's the power that changed Saul, which was a massive change, enough for him to give his life to Christ and become Paul the Apostle. It became, it became his hope. It wasn't enough for him just to have a life change. It became his hope. Wherever he went, he then started, as much as he was going this direction for the enemy... He turned around 180 degrees, was going this direction for the Lord. And he told everybody about the hope that lied within him. But many times there's a reticence in the body of Christ when it comes to sharing Jesus and his gospel. It's as if we are sometimes ashamed of the gospel. I'm not saying we are, but I know some in the church would, uh, the body of Christ would probably line up with that. And there's lots of reasons for that. Just like Paul had lots of reasons You and I do. For example, 
Sometimes with leadership failures in the body of Christ, they come out as bad examples, and I don't want to be associated with it. Do you ever talk to somebody about Christ or tell them that you're going to church someplace, and they say, oh, yeah, church. What about that guy, you know, some well-known preacher that had an affair or something like that or stole a bunch of money from the church, you know, all that kind of thing? Or <clears throat> What about him? What about her? So I don't want to be sexist. What about him or what about her doing this? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. I don't like it when people bring those up in front of me. You ever have that happen? Anybody have that happen to you? No. Yeah, yeah, well, you're Jesus. I, I, what was wrong with this situation? How come this happened to them? I, that's embarrassing to me. It is. Not enough to make me pull back on it, but I can see why that would make you a little reticent to serve Christ or to share Christ. Some of us are embarrassed by some Christian's actions about sharing the gospel without love. If you remember back in the day of Westboro Baptist Church, where they would placard uh, um, homosexual funerals, amongst other things, and they would say that these people that just died are going to hell and all those kind of things. That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to me. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't. But they say they preach the same gospel as I do, and when I'm talking about Jesus, he gets mixed into that somehow. And so I have to sit down with people and say, this is not that. This is not that. Sometimes there's a comfort that produces a, a, a lack of a sense of duty in calling to share Christ. Do you ever get comfortable in your faith? Right? Just, just come and, like I noticed you have padded pews. Nothing wrong with that. We have padded chairs. I noticed from your diagram that I won't go there. <laughs> it's easy to get comfortable in your faith. You know one of the easiest ways to get comfortable? Is not to hold it loosely. I'm not talking about the veracity of it. I'm talking about the fact that you feel you've got it all figured out. As soon as you feel you've got God all figured out, you need to find another God. The truth is you'll never figure God out. The Bible says his ways are past that. But it's easy to get comfortable when I start making reasons as to why things are happening the way they are. <clears throat> it's very easy. And I get comfortable and I start to think to myself, that's somebody else's job to tell that person about Jesus. It's not mine. Look at, look at me very closely. Look at me. It is your job. It's your calling. Whoever stands up here I think this is a little higher than ours. It's immaterial. It's not more righteous. It's just higher. <laughs> Whoever stands up here is, is no more called to share the gospel than you. And you're no less called to share the gospel than the person that stands here. You are a co-laborer. Say that with me. Co-laborer. That means together. We labor together. And so the Lord would speak to you this morning and would say, if you've become comfortable with your faith to the point that has kept you from sharing your faith, that you've come to the right church on the right morning because the Lord wants to disturb you and make you not comfortable. He wants to get your attention. Of course, it's the people that aren't here that that applies to, not you. <laughs> Many people don't believe his power is as great today as it was in the past. I don't know where you come up with that. But that's another reason we're cautious. Another one is a sense that our actions will speak louder than our words, and 
This is a big one today, and I'd like to take just a couple of minutes to speak about it. Sometimes the church will not verbalize, when I say the church, I mean us as individuals, will not verbalize the gospel because we feel that our deeds and our acts are enough. St. Francis of Assisi was reported to have said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. In retort to that statement, D.A. Carson commented that this would be like telling a news reporter to give the news and, if necessary, use words. That's impossible. Almost. After all, the word gospel means good news. News is something you communicate to people. Ed Stetzer has said it would be like telling people to feed the poor and, if necessary, use food. At a minimum, the verbal sharing of the gospel is essential to effective, biblically faithful evangelism. Good works such as feeding the poor, engaging in social justice, living out the gospel with our lives are corollaries to sharing the gospel, but they are not the gospel. They're not. You do those things because you're a Christian. You do those things because you're a Christian, because you love people. But at some point in time, somebody has to say, hey, I hope you enjoy this soup. I hope you enjoy this place we found you. I hope there's, uh, you're enjoying the clothes or whatever other act of love that you've gone to those people, and you need to do those things. But at some point along the place, not maybe at the beginning or in the middle, but at some point we need to be looking for an opportunity to verbalize the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. Amen? We need to be able to find a place where we can actually say that. It's not either or. It's both and. It's both and. In their book, Total Church, Tim Chester, Steve Timmis, I'm dropping a bunch of names here so you're impressed, <clears throat> said there's a tendency in some quarters today to promote a kind of evangelism without proclamation. Acts of service are done or people are invited to experience Christian worship. Without, what, without words of explanation, these are often like signposts that are pointing nowhere, or worse still, signposts pointing to our good works. The gospel is good news, a message to be proclaimed, a truth to be taught, a word to be spoken, and a story to be told. Of course we want our actions to match our words as much as possible, but the gospel is a message, news about an event, and a person upon which the history of the planet turns. It's not either or, it's both ends. For every mile of road, there's two miles of ditches, and the church is more comfortable in the ditches than they are down the road because it takes attention to stay in the middle of the road. As we were driving here through, it seemed like the worst storm of the century. I know it wasn't. Maybe it's just because the van was so cold. It took some tension on Danny's part to keep the, the bus going down the middle of the road. It takes tension for us to live with the need to proclaim the gospel and at the same time love people unconditionally and give them what Jesus would have us to give them because we love them unconditionally. Amen? We need to speak the truth when God gives us the opportunity and we need to love, have our actions share love with people at the same time. It's not either or, it's both and. And one of the ditches is stuck on the left side that says uh, that this is what you should do. And the other ditch is on the right side and says this is what you should do. And the truth is you should be in the middle of the road, folks. Amen? We should be going down the middle of the road. Loving people unconditionally. And might I say, whether they accept your Jesus or not, you continue to love them regardless. Because such were some of you. Let's be honest, it was all of us. All of us. He's called us to love them regardless. 
Whether St. Francis was quoted correctly in his, is in dispute, but Paul succinctly artic articulated in Romans 10 what St. Francis and Jesus felt in their souls. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How's that going to happen? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear when, without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is it written, how beautiful are the feet of those who spread, uh, preach the good news, sorry. How, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Sometimes we lead the work of the propagation of the gospel to the corporate body, the experts, the hired guns, the five-fold preachers, the people that are four feet above us every Sunday morning. Let me just say something. I don't know how your church operates, but I'm going to suggest it's similar to ours in this sense. These people, according to Ephesians 4, are put in place to equip you, say me, through all of you, say me, to do the work of the ministry. That's our job collectively. And the only difference between the one that stands here, symbolically speaking, and the one that sits there is the fact that one of us is teaching you to do the same thing that we're doing. Regardless of the fivefold ministry. He's called us to do that, folks. We're real good at equipping people in the church. We're not very good at letting them go. We're good at equipping. We're not as good at releasing. Because they might screw it up. They might screw it up. I remember when Steve started on Life Force. <laughs> now you think you know where this is going. <laughs> and you're right. It's, a, it's pretty simple just to say to these guys, these guys were 18, 19, 20 years old, most of them. Man, if there was ever a disaster in the making, it was a white van filled with 12 or 15 people just like Steve. He's here today because somebody equipped him and took a chance on him. Man, your church is filled with people that need to be taken a chance on. Somebody's got to do that. Some of you have been in this church maybe for a long time. Nobody's taken a chance on you. I apologize to you for that. You say, that's not your place. I'm only preaching now. I won't be back. <laughs> I apologize to you because that's not right. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance, and therefore there's something within your heart that God has given you that he wants you to complete. You need to find what that is. That's what the church does. Helps you unearth that, and then empowers and equips you and releases you into it. That's what he's called us to do. That's not the job of these people. Sometimes we substitute the real gospel with another one that we feel might be more acceptable, more palatable than those that we're sharing with. For example, a therapeutic gospel. I'm okay, you're okay. Let me just make you feel good. If you, can, if you can feel good when you leave the service after I'm preaching, that's not necessarily a good thing. I'm not wishing that you don't feel good. I'm just saying that it's better that we're stirred up by the Holy Spirit and leave here uncomfortable with him speaking to our hearts than not having heard from him at all. Amen? It's important that we hear from him. The therapeutic gospel can get in the way. The everything will be easy gospel. These things are easy to preach. That we can change the world ourselves gospel. That Jesus wants you to be rich gospel. How many know that that's, that's a lot of fun? I'll sit under that. That's great. Especially if they pass money out on the way out. 
or the least will win the cup this year gospel. I don't know if that's a gospel. I don't know what that is. But all of those things are easier to preach sometimes in certain situations than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I can tell you something, they're not as effective. They won't change eternity. They won't bless our Father in heaven. They won't save a person from hell. God's called us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if you're uncomfortable with it. When I say preach, I just mean give a reason for the hope that lies within you. We need to do that. Sharing the gospel isn't easy in many cases simply because the message is seen as offensive by some people. Guess what? It's supposed to be offensive. I didn't, I'm not saying go and find it to be more offensive. Make it more offensive because of the person that you are. The gospel doesn't need your help when it comes to that. Amen? So those of you who think, I'm just going to go out there, I'm going to make it really tough for people to get saved. No, stop. Stop. Time out. Just, just share what Jesus did in your heart. Don't add offense to offense just because you're hard to get along with. Romans 9 says this, verse 33, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The message of the cross is a stumbling block to some, mere foolishness to others. Let me skip down. We have nothing. Nothing. without this gospel. Nothing. As bad as it would be not to have enough money to do your renovation, there's something worse. No gospel of Jesus Christ. As bad as it would be not to get a new septic system at Kettleson Camp, how many know that that's this close to the abomination of desolation out there? (laughs) As bad as that would be, there's something worse. And that's it. Your life doesn't display the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the important part, folks. This is what this is about. This is why you gather. This is why we worship. This is why you give. This is why you tell other people about your church. It's because he matters the most. Everything else is peripheral. I didn't say it's not important. It's just not as important. And as soon as something else gets in its place, it becomes problematic. What's the correct response when it comes to the gospel? We need to realize and embrace the gospel and its power. Remember that there's no other way to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. No other way. One way, Jesus. That's it. Not Buddha, not Confucius, not Joseph Smith. None of those things. Not a particular church. Jesus. You say, what about all those other things downstream, Pastor Larry, that are, that are important? You know, what about, uh, you know, being woke and all those kind of things? You know something? If you get one thing straight, it has a tendency to make the others come into perspective. But if you focus on those things without the gospel, you're as good as lost. You're as good as lost. I came this morning. I'm going to have the worship team come. I came this morning with this on my heart because uh, I was asked to speak about sharing our faith. And so I'm going to ask for a response because I know you're going to go get pulled pork anyways. We need to realize and embrace the gospel and its power and realize there's no other way to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to remember from where we came from. You know, some of us have been saved so long, 
we can't remember what it was like when we weren't a Christian. Do you remember what he saved you from? Anybody saved from alcoholism? Anybody? Anybody saved from, uh, from uh, a bad relationship with people? Anybody involved in crime? Anybody give uh, your life to all the sordidness that, that our society allows us to give our lives to? If you've ever done that and Jesus reached down and grabbed a hold of you and pulled you up of the muck and the mire, pulled you out of the miry clay, as the hymn says, if you know what that's like, then you know what you're saved from, or at least you have some idea, you should be thankful and you should tell other people. You should tell other people. You should. I know this church believes in this. I know you believe in this. I want to encourage you to re-examine, see what the Lord would say to you this day. Just play something. They'll do as I say because I'm their pastor. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. I don't know what your uh, tradition is here uh, at Hillcrest, but Pastor Danny uh, DeLong is with me today. He's one of our pastors on staff. And uh, this is what I'd like to do. If you, and I know this might not, this message, you may say, but yes, no question, this is me. That's, I believe that. I share my faith whenever I have an opportunity. That's great. But if you've run up against a wall, okay, if you run up against a wall, maybe it's been a long time. Just think just for a minute. Just think. When was the last time When was the last time that you told somebody about the hope that lies within you? Just think for a minute. Don't verbalize it. Just think. Was it last week? Last month? Last year? When was the last time? I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just asking you to have perspective. If that concerns you and you would like someone to pray for you that the power of God would course through you and give you the Uh, give you the boldness that you need to share your faith. I'd like to pray with you. Pastor Danny would like to pray with you. I'm sure there's other people uh, here that would pray for you too. Can I just say, there isn't anything else that matters. You pull the gospel out of everything you do, you have nothing. Be you a gathering, a church, a denomination, an individual. If you're a parent, it's important that your kids see that you believe enough in this thing. You're bringing them to church to hear about all the time that you will tell other people about it. If you're a grandparent, it's even more important for your grandchildren to say, yeah, I remember grandpa telling me stories about telling people about Jesus. I remember grandma. I remember I want that. Maybe you're a young person, a young adult, and it's been, you're just all messed up in your head maybe with, how do I do this without offending someone? There's another question that's more important than that, and this is the question. Will you serve Christ obediently and let him figure everything else out? And if you'll do that, he'll change your life. So the worship team is going to play. Danny's going to come. We're going to stand right here. There's lots of pulled pork. 
Oh, doesn't look like the Stevensons are gone to get their mix already. There'll be lots. There's a restaurant next door if you don't get yours. Let's do business with the Lord this morning, folks. Let's do business with the Lord this morning. Just bow your heads. Holy Spirit, pray you'd come. I pray you would take your word and impact our hearts with the truth of your word. And may we be men and women, Christians, that have the courage of our convictions. Maybe we men and women that desire to serve you and will not be ashamed of the gospel, but given the chance, given the opportunity, we'll share our faith wherever we get a chance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you this morning.